Oh, Marone, in 1979, the first issue of Fangoria was released into the world. It's been over 40 years, and Fangoria is better than ever. Each issue bringing you 100 pages of exclusive, carefully curated content honoring horror's past, present, and future. These articles and interviews will never be published online, so the only way to read them is by getting your hands on a physical, collectible copy of your own. Oh, we can't give anything away because we want the experience to be a surprise, but we can safely say that you don't want to miss a single page. Head over to Fangoria.com right now to learn more and to, uh, you know, subscribe. And while you're there, make sure to enter the promo code KINGCAST. You save 25% off your yearly subscription. Hey-oh! hey oh, oh my God, let's get on with that show. My name is Stephen King. The ice is gonna break! Bad love! Bad love! Survive! 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 And I'm Eric Vespi. And we are your hosts. We got a returning KingCast guest on our hands today, gang. You know him from Idle Hands, Final Destination, the immortal video for Eminem Stan, last year's Hunter Hunter, this year's Chucky, and this month's Black Friday. He's a he's a busy boy, folks. Last time he joined our ranks to talk Cujo, but this time he's here to talk Vincenzo Natali's 2019 adaptation of Stephen King and Joe Hill's in the tall grass. Ladies and gentlemen, please welcome back to the KingCast stage, Mr. Devin Sawa. Devin, how are you doing today? I'm doing great. How are you guys doing? Oh, we're, I'm fantastic. Eric, you fantastic? Oh, I'm more than fantastic, baby. Amazing. Amazing. <laughs> I'm doing great. It's, uh, it's, it's finally not summer in Texas anymore. We had like a legit cool mm-hmm. uh, evening. We're getting down into the 40s at night now. It's uh, This is my favorite time of year. Yeah, so, totally. So, totally. like, I'd be Halloween guy anyway just for the spooky season aspect of it. But the fact that it marks the end of our brutal Texas summers has made me, like, even more of a fan than I was when I was a kid. It's it's hoodie season. For and sure. if we get real lucky, we'll get another fucking winter apocalypse like we had last year where Eric and I almost froze to death. Um, <laughs> I hear that's, like, there's like, a strong likelihood of that happening. So, uh, yeah. hopefully the show doesn't have to go dark for a week again. <laughs> yep. There was, uh, apparently people who know th- these kind of things that look at farmers al- almanacs and stuff say that, uh, that like, uh, we're due for another one this year, which is great. <laughs> I'm sure our, our electrical system can, can handle it here in Texas. Nothing can go wrong with that. Us, Canadi- us Canadians looked at your dusting of snow and shook our heads. Bro, it was not a dusting of snow back in February. <laughs> it, was little, it was a little dusting of snow. <laughs> I assure you, it was not a wee <laughs> dusting of snow. It was, um, I've never, ever seen snow like that in Texas. I, I had seen it like, um, you know, speaking of Canada, when I was in Toronto once right. uh, during the winter for Christmas, but nothing like that ever in Texas. And uh, let me tell you, it's, uh, it's real cool for about an hour. And then you're like, uh oh, and I can't leave my house because we don't have the infrastructure to clear these roads. Yeah. And uh, they're like, salt? What's salt? Why do we? Why would we salt the roads? <laughs> we have salt trucks, but now we can't get them anywhere because we have like one plow for the entire city. Yeah, 
Texas is like, hey, man, that's for putting on tortilla chips. That ain't for putting on roads now. Um, I just want to say this out loud for our listeners. I, I just want to tell you what an incredible mensch Devin Sawa is. I recorded an interview with him uh, about a week and a half ago, was it, uh, for uh, Fangoria Magazine that'll be in the next issue. Yeah. And um, the audio got completely fucked in the process. An hour just down the toilet and uh, i went back to this man i told him what happened i said we're gonna have to have that same fucking conversation again and he was right there to do it no complaints an absolute trooper uh i just wanted to i wanted to express my thanks uh for for your grace uh during that fuck up because i I have complaints now actually the (laughs) (laughs) the thing is The first time we recorded, I felt like I was a little bit more on fire. I had some great answers. It was, it was a real good one. And then I redid it and everything got condensed and I was a little bit uh, tired. And so, you know, that first interview would have been the better of the two, but you know, there's, there's pretty much the same answers. It's exclusive now. It's just, just for you two. Yes. If there, well, if, if there's something I can remember that I can incorporate into it, I will definitely do that. I just need you to sign off on me putting words into your mouth based on my memory, which is sharp as a tag. Yeah, uh, I, I felt like I spilt the beans too much on Danzig in the first one, and then I brought that. Your <laughs> 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 fault, sir. <laughs> you did. You did talk about. I was talked for like thirty minutes on Danzig in the first one, and then I, that's true. Like, yeah, maybe, maybe that was. I don't know. I listen. I love Danzig. I love Danzig. Him and I just, you know, we're just oil and oil and water, and and uh, and uh, but you know, he's, he's that is, yeah. The, uh, Death Rider in the House of Vampires is a we film. Didn't, we didn't have to say that. We didn't have to. We didn't have to say that name. No. Well, <laughs> people are gonna. People are going to naturally wonder unless 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 they were at one of the two screenings uh, that happened around the country uh, several months ago. The the movie has essentially disappeared. I have no. I I've tried to find out like when is it coming out. I want to see it. I was a fan of Veronica, in the sense in the sense that <laughs> it was a very pure artistic vision, and I like seeing that kind of shit on screen. You know, we can quibble all day about whether or not Veronica is a a, a a good movie, and I will likely agree with what anyone says about Veronica. But I would argue that. It's exciting when you see a filmmaker with no like not taking any studio notes, <laughs> just like their pure ids splashed across the screen. You know, that that's in that's in the tradition of exploitation movies where you're getting like the weird kinks and the weird like fucking subconscious shit that's going on in in, in the filmmaker on screen. I think that's like exciting stuff to see. So you have no um, idea. Some of the things that like, I, there was one day he didn't like the color of a wall, and we painted it, and then we waited for the paint to dry. It was, <laughs> it was that kind of filmmaking. It was so, and I was, and I wish I could go back because Eli Roth knew that he was just doing something that was great and fun, and like this and that. And I was there, just like, this isn't how we do it. God damn it, this is not how we do it in Hollywood. <laughs> <laughs> I shouldn't have been that way. <laughs> Yeah, you entered you entered Glenn Danzig's Hollywood, baby. I, and I yeah. should have known that. <laughs> what is what is he like in his down moments? Like in his and and not down like sad. I imagine there's an innate sadness to Glenn Danzig, but like 
like in his free time, like, did you get any sense of what he's, what he does, like what his hobbies are, what he does to relax? He, 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 Kung Fu, I believe like his, his, he's got, he's still into that. Um, He does martial arts training for real. He does a a little martial arts training. He he does a little working out. Um, He was, uh, I think he was about to do his Elvis album at the time. He, listen, he, he looks genuinely like a happy dude doing what he loves to do. So. You know. Have you heard the Elvis album, by the way? You can pull Elvis. off a fucking Elvis, dude. Yeah, he's got a good voice, man. I didn't know. I'd never heard a lot of dancing until I started doing the movie. And then, like, I heard, you know, Mother. And he's he's really good. He's really good. Yeah. Um, he's, got, so- he's got stage presence. He's He didn't lead the misfits to, you know, infamy and, and, and that level of success without being a good performer. Absolutely. He, and he, I was invited to the Elvis. He, he was doing, he, I was invited to go to the Elvis concert that he did. And then I was uninvited. So that's. That was- <laughs> <laughs> wait, 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 wait. You, you should have been quicker painting that wall, man. <laughs> uh, <laughs> somehow I got invited. Come to the, oh, I'm doing Elvis. You're like, Elvis, oh, I love Elvis. Come to my Elvis thing. And then there was no more Elvis for me. That's how the show went. Wait, but how did you? What was the process of you getting uninvited? Did you get another email that was like, never mind? We just stopped talking at one point. I think. <laughs> that sounds like you didn't follow up on tickets. Is is what that sounds like? Less um, than might have been you know, that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I'd love to see that show. And I heard he was touring it in like nightclubs or something where it was very intimate. You know, just dancing up on stage, singing his little heart out. But I remember hearing about that like before the shit hit the fan of 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 COVID. You know, and so I wonder if I wonder if that tour even happened, or you know, if it's holding out. Ain't ain't no coat, ain't no pandemic holding back Danzig. Let me tell you, okay? (laughs) Yeah, (laughs) he put on a mask once. That's my opinion, by the way. Yeah, he doesn't seem like a a big vax slash mask guy. When Danzig's gonna go his own way, one way or another. He's too fucking punk. Yeah, (laughs) just just him and Emilio. Yeah. <laughs> the fight in the system. <laughs> but you you've uh you've got Chucky going on now. That's real yeah. exciting. Yeah. Seems like a big hit. People yeah. are loving it. Yeah. Yeah, I've been seeing a lot of like social conversation around it. And and you you know that uh that uh the film Twitter, the TV Twitter, you know, side of uh all that shit actually likes stuff when they keep up with it. It's not just the promotion right. and then then it premieres and then it disappears, but like I think that uh like based on what I've seen, I've only seen the first episode uh, so far, and I really liked what I watched. I'm I'm about to binge uh, and catch up. Yeah, uh, but gained, like it gained like twenty percent the second the second week, and another ten percent the third week. So we're no shit. That's crazy. Yeah, we're doing the the you know I don't think sci-fi and USA have had something like this for a while. Maybe I'm wrong, but but it's doing extremely well from from what I understand. It's so. it's fun, and you actually give a shit about the characters right away, which isn't like kind of typical for at yeah. least that's not what I expected going in. Like I expected, like okay, it's you know it's the original guy bringing Chucky back, and it's gonna be you know Brad Dorf again, and like that's really cool, and I'm gonna go and watch it for the kills and the Brad Dorf quips and. And uh, and then I'm like, I actually like within the first ten minutes, I'm like, I'm invested in this kid. It's like I, I want to see him uh, get out of that abusive household for sure. Yeah. Now, the, I, I when I when I got the edition for it, um, I knew it was like I I knew it was Chucky, and that's what got me to it. And I knew it was going to be twins, and I and I was sold right away. But when I got to set and realized how gigantic, I mean, it was a, it was a big budget. We had a 
we had like a, a studio just for Chucky dolls and we had, uh, right. yeah, it was crazy. It was crazy how big of a budget sci-fi and USA like split the bill with universal and they went all out on this thing. And it, and then it was a lot of fun. Well, and that, really I think knows that's a, his shit. He just does. Yeah. 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 Well, and I think that's the difference maker too. You talk about the budget is that the last couple of Chucky movies uh, that not counting the remake were done on, you know, kind of a shoestringy small thing. They felt small and, and like, self-contained and yeah i don't know there's just something about like you go back and rewatch the original chucky it's a kind of a big series you know comparative to other slashes of of that stuff because you know all the friday the 13th camp crystal lake is you know one little thing that they're all running around cabin cabin you know or even a nightmare on elm street it's in one little neighborhood halloween one neighborhood but like i remember even as a kid it registering with me watching the first child's play going you know now andy's on a train and he's going into the the slums and you know with this doll and you see this doll out kind of all around chicago you know i don't know there's just something that that's interesting to me about expanding the world in the way that 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 series doesn't end what seems to be happening in this, in the show. Yeah, for sure. Oh, God damn it. It's Mancini, not Coscarelli. What the fuck am I doing? My bad. (laughs) I get their names mixed up a lot. Sorry. I thought you said Mancini. I'm sorry. I, I I didn't hear you either. So yeah, it kind of, your voice cracked out. So you probably could have gotten away with, yeah, you could have gotten away with it with that flub. Yeah. God damn it. But, but now I'm keeping all this in just so, uh, you can be so embarrassed when you listen back to it. Sorry, Don's. Sorry, both Don's. So you're here today to talk about In the Tall Grass. In the Tall Grass is a 2019 adaptation of a Joe Hill, Stephen King short story of the same name. Uh, We talked a little bit before the show and you told me you had not read much, if any, of Joe Hill's work. I haven't read. Listen, I don't know why, um, but I I felt like I would finish uh, his father's catalog before going into his, I don't know. And like in that Steven guy just keeps putting out books. And so I just keep going. Um, <laughs> so it's I good shit, dude. I know. I know. I know. I'm going to love it. I know. I know that I'm going to really love it. I heard that he's just, he's different enough from his father that he's his own, he's his own thing. And, and uh, I'll get to it. What's interesting to me is I kind of came to Joe Hill's stuff when King was at a little bit of a slump. We're talking his like aughts, output Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. and and so it's not that i didn't like stephen king stuff it just wasn't like the grade a stuff we were we'd been getting for so many decades and uh so i'd read the new stephen king be like oh it's fine it's fine this is good it's fine and then then uh heart-shaped box came my way and i'm like huh i can i guess i'll try out this thing and it read like top tier stephen king to me obviously joe hill's got his own voice and especially in the short uh, his short fiction, and especially now, like kind of Nosferatu and Lock and Key, his comic book era, like he's he's really kind of found his own tone and his own voice. But Heart Shaped Box, I highly recommend if you're even if, if you're still in that Stephen King mindset, mm. like it to me that of everything he's ever written, that's the thing where I'm like, oh yeah, he definitely has got the King genes in there because it feels like something his his dad would have written in like the mid to late eighties. Mm-hmm. Can you, you tell while reading in the Tall Grass? Can you tell? Uh, the difference between certain things that they mm. like, this could be King, this could be Joe Hill, or, or you know right away, like, absolutely Joe Hill is taken over for these this little blurb. And I'm I'm I, very I, shitty at that stuff. Like I reread The Talisman recently, and right. like I couldn't tell you what's Peter Straub and what's King. I can tell you things that feel kind of more like that, but like I can't. Whenever there's a co-author situation, I'm really terrible at like 
trying to distinguish the voices. Well, I think in in this case, uh, I think you absolutely can tell. And the the tell is something that's one of my favorite things about Hill is like, to me, Joe Hill has all the talent of his father. You know, if he's if he's this early in his career and he's cranking out books that are and and just writing in general, that it is as good as it is. I think he's got a long career ahead of him. But one thing that he is. He's like a modern king in the sense that all of his pop culture references and particularly any references to technology tend to feel a lot more real than King stuff. Like when when King approaches modern slang or the teens today or, you know, yeah. shit like I don't know, shit like TikTok. TikTok isn't mentioned in in the tall grass, but I can imagine TikTok appearing in a Joe Hill story. I do I can't imagine that being incorporated into a King story and right. and having it read as cleanly as Joe Hill. He is he really does feel to me like the modern update on on his dad. And it's that that grasp he has of the modern vernacular and, you know, slang and I don't know, trends and what's popular today. The the references ring more true to me than they do in King stuff nowadays. And I think you can feel like I think there are multiple times in the original novella that this one's based on that you can really feel that. Now that I'm saying this out loud, I, I wish I had an example set aside to uh, pull from, but I, I literally just read it before. Well, the, the way that that chick eats the baby or has her baby be so, <laughs> is so millennial. You have no idea, you guys. Well, no. here's the thing. I haven't read Joe Hill, but like Stephen King has, has, has the ability to spend five pages on a certain character lighting a book of matches and make it interesting. Like, like that's some, that's, that's how he, like, I feel he stretches out books like 11, 22, 63, where he could spend, you know, 10, 15 pages talking about absolutely nothing, but you're still like, Oh my God, that was amazing. Do you know what right. I mean? And mm-hmm. in this book, uh, when Cal sits there with the, with the matches and he lights one after another and then gets the smell of, uh, of, of, you know, the match. And it's like, he's not really, it doesn't really go anywhere but it's long and it's actually quite entertaining. Mm-hmm. And I don't know whether Joe Hill does that if he, if he, if he does stuff like that, but King does it all the time. Hmm. Oh, they're, just, they're both pretty ver, uh, wordy. They're chatty. Verbose. Writers, these verbose. guys. Uh, yeah. 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 Verbose. Oh, if we want to get for. technical about it, but yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I, I, but I, I don't think that I noticed that as much in Hill's stuff. Like they're both really great at getting inside characters' heads, right? Um, and, and you know that's the secret sauce of of that that family. I haven't read much of uh, Owen King's stuff. I I still haven't read Sleeping Beauties, which he co wrote with his dad as well. Mm-hmm. So I, I'm curious. I'll have to dive into that at some point. But uh, it, it does. I can I can definitely tell you that uh, that he he might not have the same. Uh, spend 10 minutes you know with a character like in the 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 example that always comes to mind with this is dark half and there's that that landlord that discovers the body of one of george stark's victims and Mm -hmm. you get like this entire history as she's like just walking up the stairs to the door of the apartment or whatever about her being a hall not a hollywood a, a washington madam and you know like a call girl that made enough money to to buy her own like 
condo for whenever she aged out of being a, a prostitute and like and like all this stuff and you're like what the fuck why why do i need to know this character you know who has like her only purpose in the story is to discover a body right that's the only thing in, in any other story that she just would have been random person but like by the time she enters that room and finds the dead the dead body it's like you know who she is why she's there what her hopes are what her dreams are you know how this is going to impact her and and it's it, i don't there's there's something kind of beautiful about yeah, about that totally. when the writing's good it doesn't matter it really right. doesn't there's good writing, there's bad writing. And if it's good writing, then you enjoy watching or reading it. You know, yeah. it's 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 sort of like filmmaking in that sense. And that I've seen movies that were self-indulgent or you feel like the filmmaker is kind of jerking off a little bit. But also uh-huh. you don't care because it's just such good material. You're just happy to be watching it. I, I, I mm. think it like, I think like those a thin, like a thin red line where you're watching mm. birds. For five minutes, yeah. I haven't a seen Thin Red Line actually. Yeah. Okay, well, that's that's a that's a movie where he just places the camera and, and and just takes shots every once in a while of just stuff. Wow, that's Good fucking Terrence happen. Malick for you, right? Yeah, <laughs> right. you know. And it's so beautiful to watch, though. It's it's gorgeous. yeah. He makes movies that are tone poems versus narrative exercises. I think right. Uh, right. So, well, then, but then on the other end, you have something like Malignant. Which, if James Wan didn't shoot the fuck out of that movie, uh, it just would have been forgotten as a because I I mean and listen I I enjoyed Malignant but that script and some most of the dialogue delivery and that is like bottom of the barrel god awful shit but he shoots it so interestingly and that it elevates like those two flavors elevated into something completely different and 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 uh, new and fascinating and I think that's why Malignant's kind of caught on with with the uh, James with Wan knew exactly what the fuck he was doing with Malignant there's there's no doubt in my mind like sure Devin, but, did like, you see he did, Malignant by the way <laughs> I did. That's the new one on um, HBO that with the with the prison scene and everything. I, I yeah. Saw it. <laughs> yeah, yeah, with, with Gabriel. The, yeah. The, yeah, Gabriel, the chair throwing. The uh-huh. I, there was I I read it in the the, the uh, trident. The stabbing. LA Times had like a kind of a follow up piece to Malignant the other day that had some quotes from Juan in it, and yeah, there was a you know only a a couple of paragraphs into it. it he, he, Juan was taking full credit for the scene where. The woman pulls up in her car next to the insane asylum and drives right up to that fucking <laughs> cliffside and parks right. it. Like, and he's like, "Yeah, I'll take a, I'll take a hundred percent credit for that." Like, he knew exactly what he was doing with that movie. Just to connect this to Stephen King, I was so mad when I was watching *Malignant* because uh, Phil Nabil Jr. from *Fangoria* had seen it before I did. He had told me before, and he's like, "It's some wild shit, dude. You're gonna, you're gonna like that movie." And I was like, oh, right on. And then it came out and uh, I started watching it and I got like 20 minutes into it and like texted Phil and was like, dude, this is just the dark half. This is straight up the dark half, like right down to the kind of kooky that opening in the hospital, you know, where they're where they're trying to separate or whatever. It's just like the the opening scene in the dark half where Romero has the the doctors operating on. uh, Tad. Bo- Tad Beaumont and getting rid of the twin. And I was like, if this is a fucking thing, if this is a twins thing, I'm going to be so mad. And and Phil was just like, it's, it's the, it's the singer, not the song. Like, please <laughs> stay with it. And then around the time, uh, the moment happened where the two sisters are talking and, and one of them was like, I would, or not the two sisters, but the, the, 
the main character and uh, her friend. And she's like, I was adopted. And, and the other uh, woman that she's talking to just has a look of abject horror on her face. And the camera just lingers. I was like, oh, he's <laughs> fucking around right now. We're not supposed to be taking this seriously. And then soon enough, you know, cars parking on the edge of a cliffside. Malignant is throwing a chair like <laughs> WWE style across a room to stop somebody, you know, and that that whole jailhouse fight sequence was it's so good. It's all it's all I can remember. Hilarious. It's, it's <laughs> so good. It came out of nowhere and it just it was phenomenal. I mean, I guess it came out of nowhere, but it was, it was awesome. <laughs> It just it keeps Bell you on was your in there with a mullet. There's someone else yeah. dressed as Cleopatra Jones for some reason. <laughs> and I would have watched well, an and hour and a half of that scene. I would have just watched that scene yeah. for the entire movie. And did you <laughs> and did you notice the the difference in production design from like you get these like Blade Runner esque looking fucking like police department sets and shit? These huge, massive oh, open totally. airs like locations and then you get to the prison cell and it just looks like uh uh fucking flats plain, painted gray and, and shit and and suddenly zoe bell sitting there and you go okay so we know some shit's gonna go down here right <laughs> it's yeah, like yeah. you know <laughs> you know that this isn't built uh or this is built to take some damage whatever this set is is just some some cheap ass fucking the the largest jail cell i've ever seen in a movie oh no yeah. shit like if you're ever in a holding cell it is not that big like that that holding cell was the size of my fucking house. Like a, that was a like, holding a holding cell is like fifty dudes or forty dudes packed into a room like the size yeah. of my office, you know, with yeah, one that, toilet. That, that one looked bigger than the one in Ghostbusters where all the Ghostbusters are there, you know, <laughs> yeah. hanging out with like eighty people, you know, and, and totally. I don't know. It was it was weird. It it was it was weird, it's bizarre, it was fun, but like my point still stands in that uh, you know, that if you had that exact same script it, with that exact same intention in the lesser filmmakers hands, then it just would have been something everybody would have like made the jerk off motion, you know, to, and then been like, you fuck that movie. It was, it wasn't worth my time, but because you have somebody really going out of their way to, to shoot the hell out of it and to make it interesting and to make it weird and fun and giant. And, you know, the camera's always moving the, the filmmaking technique on that, I think was the secret sauce that like kept it from just being an, a, you know, I always thought while watching it, there was probably a version of the film before it was done that was sent to the studio or, or, or whatever that they all saw and were like, what the hell is this? Like before, it was, before <laughs> the, the post like effects were put in, before it was color touched, before, you know, all that shit was done. Somebody saw like a, like a lockdown version. Like this is the, this is a film locked for editing. It's just not done yet. And they just watched it and were like, fucking what's going on here? Like what, 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 what is this? <laughs> You know what I mean? That's all I can think about sometimes when I watch that. I have to tweak it with some computers. Yeah. <laughs> Don't worry. It all makes sense. At the well, end. It'll come together. Don't you worry. It's two versions away. We're a little off track here, but let's talk in the tall grass. Like the novella here is very short. You can read this in 30 minutes, probably. Uh, yeah, more or less. Yeah. Hour and a half long. Devin, would you mind walking us through the plot of the novella? Not the movie. Don't worry about that right now. But just like the, what is the raw material that we're working? Okay, with so uh, tw- I guess uh, they're Irish twins. They're not real twins, but they're they're a brother and sister born a year apart. Can't remember where they were traveling to. Uh, some sort of family reunion or was that the movie? Anyways, they're they're traveling and they pass a cornfield and they pull over and they hear a young boy's voice uh, from the grass calling for help and then a mother. 
uh, in a different session of the grass, telling him to be quiet. The brother of the two decides to go in and uh, bring them out. The sister goes in after the brother, uh, but they get separated. And I guess for the entire movie until the very end, they are in different parts of the grass. Sometimes they hear each other close. Sometimes they hear each other far. The uh, And stop me if I'm veering into the – I guess everything that happened in the book happened in the movie too. It just was expanded. So the, uh, the, the, the sister, first of all, she runs into the, to the father that the boy was talking about. I guess the, that family got separated. Mm-hmm. She runs into the father. He is clearly has lost his mind. Um, and uh, he promises to get them out of the grass. He lures her to a rock. The sister encounters the husband who leads her to the, the wife, who's essentially been torn apart. <laughs> Right. The son finds the dog. Well, he, he, he finds the brother. And also, yeah, I guess the, the dog is uh, mentioned in the in the novella. But then I think he's the one that leads the brother to the rock. Yeah, absolutely. The sister sort of comes to at some point and the, the brother. Up. Yeah, the brother and the kid are sort of in league together at that point. They're, they're both just as mad as the father is. Right. And uh he feeds her the. Well, she's she's pregnant. I, I don't know if you mentioned that up front, but she's pregnant in the story, yeah. and and then miscarries, and then and then what happens, Devin? <laughs> well, she wakes up to him, the brother, feeding her something because they're both dehydrated, they're both hungry. They they kind of mention that throughout the story, and we find out that uh, that he's feeding her the uh, miscarried baby, I suppose. Mm-hmm. Yikes! Yes. Yes, and then. I guess that's when it cuts to the, the the outside with the new bus and the church kids or whatever. No, it's, it's uh it's hippies, it's like stoners. <laughs> yeah, like a yeah. bunch of hippies <laughs> driving around. Uh, very simple. Very, yeah. you know. To the the novella is, you know, this is a thing that first appeared in Esquire. I think there there is a physical edition of it that you can buy, but it's very rare. To, uh, yeah, to the, it by. was a very limited release that just happened. It was like this year that they that they put it out, right? So mm-hmm. yeah, someone in, a, in the Kingcast mentions uh, picked up a copy of it and was, I guess they paid a pretty penny for it, but right, you, you, you know. can't find it anywhere. I looked everywhere for actual print of it, and you can't find the print anywhere. I had to get the audio book. Mm. Mm. Yeah, I remember when I found it when I read it for the first time. Oddly, I read it the first time. I think I'd seen the movie first because I was about to interview Vincenzo at Fantastic Fest. And it was one of those things where I got there like an hour early and they were running late. So so I had like an hour and a half to kill. I'm like, you know what? I better, you know, this is one of the few King things I've never read. So I'll see. I knew it was printed somewhere. I'm like, I'll see if it's online. And I found the original Esquire story online and I just read it on my phone. That's how I read read the story the first time. Hmm. Um. Yeah, so it's out there. You you can you can find it, uh, but you kind of have to. It's a weird interface because it's essentially like a scan from the magazine, you know. Yeah, I I, right. re- I more recently watched the movie, and that's what kind of like I had to really try to figure out whether I had read mm. the the thing wrong because there's. I mean, obviously he had to stretch it out um, to make right. it. There's no way he could have made you know, just that short little thing that King and Hill did into a full hour and a half. He had to add stuff. So I, I was, right. you know, I had to figure out what, what was added and, and what was, right. you know. Yeah. I mean, it's a great premise for a short story. I mean, this is kind of like, 
the kind of uh, short story you'd read in Skeleton Crew or Night Shift, right? This is the, it's got that great hook of like kind of the supernatural tall grass that once you enter, you just can't leave. You know, it's, it's the hotel California of grass. <laughs> um, <laughs> you know, you, you go, you just go in and just, it, and it becomes a psychological horror thing where it, things just, the space doesn't work the same. And, um, and I can see it being attractive as, as a filmmaker to go, all right, there's a lot I can do here and play, you know, uh, psychologically and, and uh, and there's a lot of really fun things that uh, Vincenzo does in the in the movie. I mean, he he a lot of the expansion of the story comes in in um, uh, a really inventive time shift mm-hmm. thing that happens. That it's not just space that doesn't work well and right in this cor- in this uh, uh, tall grass. It's uh, time. Time doesn't work there. You'll you'll find a corpse of somebody who isn't dead yet. That was you know that kind of thing. That was a beautiful touch that he did when 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 yeah. the when the boyfriend comes back in the movie and mm. lets them know that he, that they haven't just been gone a short amount of time that he's, they, they've been missing for what is it? A couple months. They were two months. To, yeah. Then you get, you get that added, you know, Holy shit. They've been in there for what seems like a short amount of time, but it's really this massive amount of time in the real world. And the boyfriend character is not in the book no. uh, or the novella. I mean, there's a section in there where it talks about the sister having like a, a text conversation with him when she found out, she was pregnant and he's, you know, a complete dick about it in the movie that, you know, he actually appears in it and plays a role for a good portion of it. And that yeah, actor, he, he that actor looked like a uh, fucking, uh, what is his name? Uh, let me look. I don't want to get it wrong. Sean uh, Ashmore. Nah, it's not Sean Ashmore. Come on now. Jared Padalecki. No, it's, uh, it's a guy who's come on. Uh, Harrison Gilbertson is his name. He looked like Leonardo DiCaprio in some of the shots in this to me. He looked mm. like Leo specifically in the Revenant. Like he's got that like long hair. It's hanging in his eyes. He's got that kind of squinty, squinty oh eye look and dirt all over his face. I kept I kept thinking of the Revenant when I was watching mm. it. But he's uh, he's pretty good in it. But he also serves mostly as as cannon fodder for the story. I think. In the process of expanding this to to feature length, Vincenzo, who who wrote and directed, uh, sort of elaborated on things that are happening in the margins of the story, like mm-hmm. like there's a mention to the uh, the bowling alley in the story mm-hmm. uh, that 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 appears and plays a role, a uh, major role in like a, a lengthy set piece that happens in the movie. That um, it's not inconsequential, but it's it's sort of a sort of a dead end. Like they find this bowling alley, they go into it, they go up on top of it. Someone falls off of it. The bad guy comes back. They leave. It's just sort of an anomaly that's uh, available somewhere in the grass, basically. But in the book, it's just like a throwaway mention of there, you know, the, uh, this bowling alley that's in the area. Um, the right. character of the boyfriend or yeah, the character of the boyfriend is kind of like that in this story. He's, mm-hmm the character equivalent of the bowling alley. Like he shows up to serve a purpose, but that purpose is mostly for him to be, like I said, like a red shirt for the rest of the on, rest on of the a plot level. Grass. Yeah. On a plot level. On, on, and I mean, he, he's kind of the emotional center of the movie. He's the one that has any sort of arc in this thing where he starts off as, 
you know, that asshole boyfriend who found out his girlfriend was pregnant and wanted her to abort it and she didn't want to abort it. Right. And that that's the in the movie, in the movie version. Yeah. And and he, you know, then when she disappears, he goes looking for her and then he, you know, he finds her in in, in the corn and she is or in the I keep saying the corn um, in the uh, tall grass <laughs> and. You know, and they're they're close, and he like essentially his growth as a character is like to put his uh, his needs aside for the needs of of uh, his future child, right? And like becoming a resp- an adult, uh, you know, in this in this thing uh, to the point where it, because of the kind of alternate reality and uh, the time bending and all that stuff, that gives uh, Vincenzo Natale the perfect excuse to have all the meanness of this short story mm-hmm. uh, and also then give it a happy ending, you know? So he, you know, the, the movie ends spoiler alert with, uh, uh, with this dude touching the rock, which like, essentially it's what makes you crazy. It's, it's probably the center of all the, the crazy shit going on here. It looks like it's could have been a meteor. It could have been something that's, you know, the land eroded away from this ancient totem. It doesn't, you don't know what the fuck it is, but it's, it's uh, something that obviously the power of this tall grass is like coming from, from this thing. And when people touch it, they go crazy, but they also have a full understanding of what they're in and can work it. So like he touches it, goes crazy, but before he just goes crazy and gives himself into the grass, he, he, uh, um, leads his the survivors out of the the grass and tells them to go have a good life or whatever or no 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 that's not true because everybody dies and he, he takes the the boy right it's the the boy is the last one there and he g- gets them out and gets him out in time to stop his his girlfriend from actually entering the grass uh, at the beginning of the the story um but uh Wait, so what? like Im- no, like at the end, the kid, the, the it's the kid, the brother, and the sister, and they're back out. It goes into that time loop shit. It's, no, 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 no. It's just the boy, and the boy stops the 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 sister and and the the brother from ever going in. Yeah. Oh, well, yeah. That's I, what I you said. said. The sister and the boyfriend. I thought. No, I didn't mean to. If I did, but uh, well, but no, he he, he leads did, the boy out. But he, the thing is, is he 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 gives him the thing to prove, like he, he her old like bloody fucking necklace or whatever, right? right? And so at the end, she's standing there holding her own like uh, necklace, and then the 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 like one that's all fucked up and bloody. So there's like alternate worlds. Like she definitely she died in there, right? There is a corpse in there, and probably still staying in that that tall grass. Um, but this whatever version of this like has has stopped. Her her from from going in and now her and her baby mm-hmm. will will survive but the boyfriend uh character is is uh like staying in the grass and has to stay there so Devin, what did you think about uh the expansion on the story elements here um i mean it had to be done it, i think that uh i think that I, I enjoyed both of them i think they're both two different things i think that the you know he, he vincenzo took the the idea of the of the short story and he made it his own and he and he um added a whole bunch of things and i thought i thought it was really well done i thought the i thought the uh the look of it definitely was pretty amazing Mm. um i think he captured the grass like that's pretty tricky to do to keep you to keep you uh entertained with the same background the almost the entire time until they go you know until the end the acting was was on point um, I liked it. I liked them both for their own, you know, again, that brings me back to, to the, you know, how King gets into those long, you know, he goes off on certain things. And so the story is even shorter than, than it is, you know, cause he spends all this time and stuff. You can't shoot in a movie. So Vincenzo had to, had to, uh, 
expand it somehow. And I think, I think he did a good job. I think right. it was, uh, it was its own thing. I think it's, it's more successful on a technical level than it is on a narrative one, because I think the, the simplicity of the original story, which, you know, climaxes with the eating of the baby, which is so fucking gnarly. The first time I read it, I could not believe I was reading it. Yeah, I was King, just King gets, they definitely get a little more graphic in the short. <laughs> um, Fuck yeah, they do. And, and, and technically the movie is, is pretty flawless. It's, it's really, really beautiful to look at. Um, great shots, great editing, great palette. Um, it, it really is outstanding in that aspect. Right. And the sense of confusion you feel in the grass and, and like you feel lost with the characters, which is kind of crucial if you're going to visualize this story. You know, you buy that you walk into this thing and, and you can't get out. Mm-hmm. Like I said, I'm more interested in this movie on a technical level than I am on a narrative one. Again, the simplicity of the story is its power, along with the fact that they eat a fucking baby in it, which is, <laughs> you know, just beyond the pale. And something Eric touched on earlier is the meanness of the story. It's very mean. The novella and the movie are just really mean spirited, even though the movie kind of has that happy ending. We've still seen this lady's baby get eaten by her from her brother. I admire the balls of that decision. They really committed to that when they fucking made the movie. I can't imagine like turning in this script to a a major studio, you know, and saying, yeah. And then uh, at the end, one of the two leads, she has the baby, but then they fucking eat it. You know, like no studio is going to let that shit fly. They they wouldn't have put this thing in theaters. This is an example of the kind of shit you can get away with uh, working on uh, for Netflix, I think, or, or for a streamer. It was Netflix, right? Yeah. In terms of, well, let me come at it from this angle. Vincenzo already like proved himself sort of a master of this kind of single location f- filming with uh, Cube. You know, I I love Cube and uh, here it's instead of, you know, uh, having like several rooms of the Cube built that he had to shoot on and then just like, you know, changed out the color gels or whatever behind the the panels in the Cube to differentiate the rooms. Now he's got to find a way to make uh, what is essentially an infinite field of grass. Interesting. That shit could not have been easy. But when I was watching it this morning, I was paying very close attention to all the, you know, every trick in the book is thrown at this thing to make it visually compelling. You know, there's a there's a sequence in there where the camera just it's sort of spinning in the grass or, you know, doing like lazy circles through it, it seems like. And characters sort of like pop in and out. This has to be a series of composite shots. I'm, I'm convinced. But it's all strung together really well, and it looks like, you know, it looks relatively realistic. You know, I I, I think you can tell there's some digital trickery going on there. But ask how much how much how much of this was shot in a studio with grass in front of a green screen and. I think very little. If I remember from my interview with Vincenzo about it, that the. uh, well, at least the grass is real. I remember him talking about having to like import the grass. Uh, uh, yeah, I don't know. Well, uh, let me, yeah, I'm going to look at, look at my interview while you guys are talking and see if he actually answered that question. Maybe I should have done that before we started recording. Cause you yeah, know, if it, was, go ahead. Like, if it was someone like Zack Snyder, it would be all in the studio. The whole thing would be studio green screen. Mm-hmm. With a couple, 
couple pieces of grass and the rest would be digital grass. Well, according to Wikipedia, at least the church was constructed, quote, on a rural road in Perth, South Ontario. On September 20th, 2018, filming took place outside of a bowling alley in Elmira, Ontario. No mention of sets, uh, which doesn't mean that he didn't use them. But I'd, I'd be curious because so much of it looks like daylight shooting to me. But also, some of it can't be real. I don't know. People, uh, this movie did not do well with critics. It's got like yeah. a 36% on Rotten Tomatoes. That's better than Final Destination. For real? What did Final yeah. Destination do? Final Destination got 31 or 32. What? The first one? The very first one, yeah. That's fucking that's, stupid. Yeah. yeah, that's dumb. What were the complaints? I don't know. No one got it. <laughs> Devin Sawa. <laughs> yeah. I, I hey, what the fuck is this dude good. doing in this movie? Man, I, I, don't do, I don't do good on Rotten Tomatoes. <laughs> you did good on Are Hunter you, Hunter. Did amazing on Hunter. I did amazing on Chucky. I'm on a roll right now. I got a 94. <laughs> We're good. Black Friday, we're going to see. <laughs> we need those numbers. How much do you, just out of curiosity, how much do you monitor that shit? Every, every day I'm looking. Every day. <laughs> well, I know, I, you know, I've talked to some people that are like, they don't come right out and say this, but it becomes clear that they're pretty obsessive about reading their own reviews. And then I know other people that absolutely will not look. You know, you think so? I don't know. I look. I look. What do you want me to say? I don't think I would want to look. If if you're a, an online writer or, say, a podcaster, the prevailing notion is to not uh, read the comments, not not read the feedback, you know, yeah. and that, that's a smart idea. There's certain people that I'm going to take a little more serious than other people, like people that have a, you know, a, a lot of history in the business and, you know. Sure. If they're if they're saying something and it comes up again, and I'll take that as you know, like I'm an athlete, and you know, and and the sports person is saying, you know, he's got to work on his his free throw. I'll go and work on my. Throat, you know what I mean, that's my that's my fast down. Sorry, <laughs> I thought you were going to say that's no, that's my children. <laughs> yeah, I thought, I thought you were going to say that's literally Cujo. That was a that's a yeah, basset hound. That was a deep bark. We, we, if you, if you, like you, if you were on the outside of the door and heard that, you would be scared. And then you open the door and it's just like, she's like two inches off the ground or two years <laughs> <of God. Ruling. laughs> Um, another, an, another element I'd like to talk about for both the short story on the, or the novella, I keep calling it a short story. And, uh, the movie is this rock. I mean, it is a short story. A novella is longer than this, isn't it? Well, I'm just, it's listed as a novella. Like I read this on Scribd today yeah and it's I that either because you got, you got a you got a uh like for instance running man or the long walk or or the body those are I mean, you could make movies out of those this is like teeny this is a short story like i don't know is there a difference between novella and yeah, i thought story? there was like a word count that that like differentiate differentiates i think that's the word i'm looking for um yeah. those things uh, but you know, I don't know what that is. I, I view, viewed it as a short story because a novella, like in my mind for Stephen King, a novella is at pupil or yeah. Shawshank, or, which you know, is something that's not quite novel length, but almost. Yeah. Let's just, let's just call it story for the sake yeah. of clarity. So <laughs> done. Uh, so this, the, the rock, the, the thing that's, you get the impression that it's at the center of the field in the, yeah. in the story and in the movie, they plead the case that this thing is direct. They're currently located directly in the center of the country. 
Right. Mm, right. And I think that there's maybe a little bit of an implication there that in the center of our country is this big rock mm-hmm. that makes people do fucked up shit. And then you you see specifically toward the end of the movie that there's there comes a moment where it's like some blood is spilled or somebody dies or something something like that happens and you see these lines like radiating out like veins from the rock mm-hmm. like and the camera just keeps pulling back and keeps pulling back and it's spreading in all directions and I sort of suspect that the implication that's being made there is that you know this rock is in its own way at the root of all evil in the continent you know which mm. is is sort of an interesting idea if in fact that that's what they're saying with it i may be interpreting that wrong it's certainly mm. not in the story the original story if that's uh you know if that's the case but one of the great things about the 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 short story uh reading it was they never mentioned anything about how the rock got the way it is or how the grass got the way it is. It's just right. there. And it just, and that's kind of a spooky thing about it is it's, it's just this rock and it does this thing and this, and it made this grass do this. And we don't, you don't need to know. Do you right. know what I mean? I think it's, I think it's Lovecraftian. I think this is King and Hill sort of monkeying around in Lovecraft's backyard. Color out of space, for instance, you know, this, this fucking thing crash lands to earth. It, mutates the the flora and the fauna in the area and it sort of spreads out and there's a family caught in the middle of it that just happens to be living you know near where this uh like meteor hit right mm-hmm. and and i get that impression from in the tall grass as well especially with like the the it, the story has the the hieroglyphs on the rock are are moving around or seeming to like float over the surface of it mm-hmm. and the idea that this thing just inspires madness but also yeah. like this sort of forbidden knowledge, like, you know, both in the movie and the short story, they, they talk about, you know, when the characters touch it, they're, they're invested now with it's, it's almost like they become part of the bloodstream of this thing, you know? Right. And so now they're invested with all the knowledge of it and the knowledge of anything going on in the grass. And I, I think that's it's biblical too, right? Because then it's like it by taking a bite of the apple and knowing everything, right? The apple of knowledge. Oh, and, that's true. And having having full realization of, of what you're in. And it's also damning you at the same time. Right. Yeah. I think it's more mysteriously presented in the uh, in the short story. There's like a nightmare logic to the short uh, or the, mm-hmm. the story that um, once it's translated to the screen becomes literal and you can sense the the feeling going on here that they're trying to pinpoint things i think in a way that the story just doesn't that's like a commonly tripped over speed bump when Mm -hmm. when anyone attempts to adapt lovecraft for film right this idea of like cosmic horror and the unknowable and not being able to like just understand what's going on in front of you while being like forcefully taken as a part of it that kind of shit fascinates me. I, I love that. And um, I really love that about the, uh, the story. And I love it about the movie. I think uh, I prefer the I prefer the novella, the short story, whatever we want to call it. I prefer that to the movie because I, I prefer the simplicity of it. But I do like that about it. I, I, right. Devin, have you read a lot of uh, Lovecraft? You're like a I, huge I, fucking reader. Yeah, I have not. I, I I've. I, I'm not really sci-fi or horror other than Stephen King. I, I, you know, I tend 
uh, you know, Cormac McCarthy and Don Winslow and all these guys that go, I go in the crime and, and sure. uh, stuff like that. Um, I don't know why I, King is the only kind of supernatural stuff that I read. Hmm. I, don't know, I don't know why. It's just the only, I've tried to, you know, I've tried reading Kuntz. I've tried it. I've I just nothing else is but King. You know who you would like is Stephen Graham Jones, I think. There's a real grittiness to his stuff. He's writing modern stuff. He's he's doing really interesting things with uh, genre tropes. I think you would love The Only Good Indians and uh, and also My Heart is a Chainsaw, which just came out. So that which and one of those just won the Edgar Allan Poe Award for the year. We ha- we had him on the show a while back. Great dude. Um, and I think you'd be into him. I think you'd be more into his work than Lovecraft's, which is hmm it's it's more difficult to read because it's kind of stodgy you know it was written fucking forever ago you know right. so if, it's got that to it you know which is also reflected in the you know and unrepentant and so racism many, of of uh, right. hp lovecraft but it's um and so many people have kind of picked his his carcass to death you know and, and t- stolen bits and pieces here or there right. that, you know a lot of it'll be like familiar it's kind of like um the john carter problem right by the time john carter was uh uh the john carter mars books were adapted you know the every fantasy and science fiction movie for the last 40 years is has you know kind of <laughs> stripped mind yeah, uh, all the fair. good stuff out of it um uh, i did look back on my my uh, interview with vincenzo and it was done for sci-fi wire by the way and he said that uh uh, most of this was shot location. It was shot in the heat of Stratford, Ontario in the summer uh, in the real, in a real field of tall grass. And they had to shoot it at that point because if they wanted a certain height, uh, then you have to go at like a very specific window to shoot in there. And that like, you have like this window between it either being too short or it browning and flowering. So it's like that, that was the, 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 the like one little window they could shoot it. He also, and this reminded me, he said that the reason why this happened was obviously this happened in the wake of it. Chapter one, uh, making $700 million. (laughs) And suddenly everybody wanted anything with Stephen King's name on it, which I think could then give you, um, an example of why Vincenzo was able to get away with what he got away with at Netflix, you know, the baby eating, et cetera. Right. Um, because at that point, you know, they, they really just wanted a Stephen King thing and mm-hmm. they kind of let him do, do whatever crazy shit he wanted to do. So, so someone, someone's walking with the, with rage next and see, we'll get that made. <laughs> yes. Yeah, for sure. The, I'm sure that that'll, that'll go over well. Uh, Cinestate will produce that one. Oh, go. yikes. Uh, <laughs> I think I'm, NDA from responding to that any further, but uh, <laughs> another thing that I really love about uh, both the story and the movie here is that it really plays on that universal fear of being lost in a location. Mm-hmm. And I was trying to think the Blair witchy kind of thing, right? Yeah, yeah. Like lost in the woods, lost, I don't know, in a fucking park. The older I get, the the harder it becomes to find my car when I come out uh-huh. of like target or whatever the fuck I, Oh dudes, I I've had stress dreams about fucking like going in, needing to find my car in a giant, like multi-story parking lot and not remembering where I parked. And it's like, Oh, maybe it's or in this dream. It's a rental car. And I don't know, like, I don't remember what kind of car it was and how am I going to get home and, and all this shit. I've had those dreams. I know exactly what you're talking about. So what I'm wondering is have I, either of y'all ever been lost in a location? Like to this extent where you legitimately did not know how the fuck to get out of it. 
Yeah. I'll give you I'll give you an example. A few years back, I'd been sent to cover Star Wars Celebration, which is like this, you know, um yearly or was a yearly thing. I don't I don't know if they're still doing it, you know, not during COVID times, but it's it's basically a Star Wars Comic-Con. You know, you show up, it's like 2-3 days long. They parade out all the people associated with Star Wars, you clap for them, they have panels. This one that I'm thinking of was in uh, Orlando, I believe. And mm-hmm. um, were you at this one, Bespy? Yeah. Okay. Yeah, yeah. We were in a hotel that was connected to the convention center or the hall or whatever the fuck where, where all this was going on. And it was the year that, like, I think it was the year Last Jedi came out because I feel like they showed us the trailer and John Williams came out and played some mm-hmm. shit, which was really wild. Yep. Anyway, at one point, Ash Crossan and I actually, I think she just interviewed you, Devin. Okay. And she was asking me about you because she knew I had just talked to you. She works for Screen Rant now. She and I were like partying pretty hard during that whole weekend or couple of days that we were there. And at one point, we left the convention and we're trying to basically, we were trying to sneak out of there. We were trying to sneak out of there without making it obvious. And I remember us like taking a back way to get back to the to the hotel bar and getting lost like underneath this convention center. Like we were kind of in an area we weren't supposed to be in. (laughs) And, And it was just endless fucking hallways in every direction. And we spent about 20 minutes like wandering around this space trying to figure out like how the fuck to get out of there. And at a certain point, it stopped being funny and started being like, okay, seriously, what the fuck is going on? You know, that was that's the only time I can remember ever being Hmm. truly lost like that. You know, it's hard. It's hard to get lost anymore. Right. Like, yeah. When I was like 16 and driving before we had fucking, you know, Google Maps and shit on our phones to just tell us exactly where to go. There were plenty of times I got lost driving around like downtown Dallas or some shit like that, trying to find the right exit or the right side street and just failing. But um, this felt different because it was on foot and it was, you know, there was nothing to get you out of there immediately and quickly if you had to. And uh, I remember that being really creepy. So Hmm. yeah, you feel paralyzed. Yeah. Yeah. It's un it's it's unusual to be a human being alive in the year I that was like probably 2018 or something but like in modern day and not be able to like extricate yourself from whatever location you're in very quickly. So right. and um, your pocket computer wouldn't help you in that scenario. Fuck yeah. no. There's a little dot on a screen, son. So have either of y'all experienced anything like that ever? When when I was uh I remember the one time I remember being really lost was when I was a little kid and I got lost at Alcatraz. <laughs> what? Yeah, so my parents crazy, right? So my parents took me on one of those Alcatraz tours back when I was six or seven years old. And they, <laughs> yeah. they take you in groups and you're 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 with groups. And somehow I got separated from my parents' group and was in a different group. And this was right around the time. And first of all, I'm short, right? So everybody's tall and they want us to feel, they want you to feel uh, that jail kind of experience where they're ushering you around, whatever. And somehow we got separated at a time where they put us into one of those cells and Mm -hmm. shut off the lights for two minutes to make you feel like what, what it feels like to be in Alcatraz. 
And I was separated <laughs> at six. I, I, it, it's so, I, I remember like night and day, it was just, it was, I, I just remember very vividly that, that just, just the sea of people where I couldn't see anywhere around me because we were all crammed into the cell. Um, and they shut the lights off and then they came up and eventually, you know, I found my parents, but I, I remember that being the most loss I'd ever felt in my life. And it, it went on, it was probably a good solid five, six, seven minutes. I, I understand it's a prison. So this question is going to sound silly, but there were no <laughs> windows. There were no, like there were, there was no natural light entering the area or is it just pitch black? It went, it went well, I mean, it's pitch black for a kid. I'm sure it was light. Enough sure. For I'm sure they had their whatever. But for a kid, I, I remember that being we were on like like a tier, like we would they would they would usher the group down, and then they would push you in the cell. And at that point, I was already lost, and I was a kid, so I wasn't. I was I was kind of just speechless for a bit. You know what I mean? It was like I'll figure this out. Um, and then they put you in the cells, and then the lights go down, just make it, and then they come back. It was only you know, only a minute or two or whatever. Hmm. Um, and then I and then I got back with my parents. But I remember being quite. You, you feel very. Uh, uh, you know, paralyzed, and, and you just couldn't. I couldn't see anything. I couldn't. I couldn't find my way out. I didn't want to talk to anybody. It was I, re- I remember that. that. That's the most yeah. loss I'd ever felt. Still to this day. Yeah. And it's well, a I mean, prison, I, I, which is doubly unpleasant. <laughs> and an old well, one. I didn't even, like, even know if I got the concept of prison at that point. It just, just that environment. I just remember the environment and, and strange yeah. and. Yeah. Different. You didn't understand the layout and I get it. Um, I, I had a similar thing when I was a kid in terms of just being lost in like a supermarket where you get separated from your parents or whatever. And I did the the whole thing where I ended up freaking out. And then like the employee found me and like they did an announcement for my mom to get me at the, you know, that kind of thing. Um, and, and it makes me wonder if like part of the reason why stories like this impact you or is that it like taps into that? Cause I think everybody's had that child like as a child a helpless child freak out thing that traumatized them in some way and like watching a Blair Witch or in the tall grass or anything kind of triggers that that memory even if it's uh, something you don't remember any of the details to Mm -hmm. um in, in terms of getting lost lost there there's this thing that I did when I was 10 11 ish years old I went to this um it was I don't remember how they phrased it It was like a wilderness camp or something where for like Four days, uh, I went into the mountains of Santa Cruz, and uh, uh, and it was just kind of like a summer camp, but it wasn't really a summer camp thing. I don't know. It was they called it learning school or some stupid bullshit, but it, it, they called it something really ridiculous. But it was essentially like a four day summer camp kind of thing, even though it wasn't summer. It was cold, and I remember they took us at one point to the top of this uh one of the 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 mountains the one of the hills and in the wilderness and we kind of sat around and the you know the light went out of the sky and there was like a campfire and we kind of ate and they said okay this is it was about a mile away from where the actual cabins were and and with no lights no natural lights no electric light you know it was just pitch black and they sent us down in group uh, in solo groups to go back to the cabins and walk back, walk the trail back yourself uh, in the pitch blackness. And I'm like, I can't imagine them doing that to any kids in, in the year 2021. Going, All right. Now walk a mile in the, in the wilderness 
Uh, oh, and don't just remember to keep to your left because there's a you'll fall off the mountain if you go to the right. You know, that <laughs> kind of thing. You know, it was one of those things where they're just like, oh, we're going to teach you how to be by yourself. And I remember there was about a point halfway down where I'm like, I think I'm on the right trail. But it was one of those things where it kind of branched off a little bit. And there was could was that a path in front of me? I couldn't really make it out. Am I going the right way? Like, did I just turn into the woods? You know, is, it, is that what I I'm going to die amongst the banana slugs and, you know, Santa Cruz. Uh, and so they're about halfway through where I was just like, I was certain that I was not in the right spot and I had no, uh, like I, n- no, vi- no uh, field of view, like where I could see this is where my destination was. And, and the lights that I'm walking towards it, where I was just walking in nature with the nature sounds at night, you know, with the smell, the damp smell of, of, uh, of all the wet leaves and like everything, like just sensory overload that that's the, the only thing that jumps to mind for, for me was, you know, I ended up making it back to the cabins, but, uh, uh, but yeah, there there was that moment of panic about halfway down where I was just like, fuck, like I'm lost and I'm I'm going to die in these woods. <laughs> hmm. That's part of the story's power, you know, in, in both versions. It's just right. that and you hit on this a minute ago, that that feeling of helplessness is what's so, so terrifying, especially if you're an adult. When you're a kid, I think you kind of feel helpless in general, you know, hmm. and you don't yeah. spend a lot of time thinking about it. But then like. Every once in a while, it'll be brought back to you that you're a fucking kid. You don't know what's going on. You feel that far less than as an adult. And uh, the idea of being lost as an adult, I think, is is particularly frightening, especially outside broad daylight. It's um, kind of incomprehensible that that should be the case. Right. And so I, I think they they play off that really well here. Something I, I appreciate with the adaptation is the introduction of in the chaos introduction of rules, right? That right. this isn't something where anything can happen just for the sake of story. Like, oh, they, we need the character to be here. Like they start establishing some rules like the, the grass can't move dead things. Yes. And so there becomes, which I think is a really, really interesting thing because then suddenly all these, the dead dog, the dead crow, the, the, uh, the, the mm-hmm. corpse of, of the main girl that, that, that is, you know, that is found, you know, uh, like all these things that once that's established, those become like anchors in a way. So the deaths that preceded everybody being in the corn or is happening in the future or it happening at the same time, depending on what the timeline is, becomes a little bit of an anchor. It's it, like in video game terms, it's like a save point, right? Right. So you, if you, if you can get to, um, you know, a dead thing in the, the uh, tall grass, then you at least have a bearing. It's like, uh, it's like a, a bonfire in dark souls. Right. Right. For sure. Did the kid eat the bird in the in the movie? I don't remember. No, he did not. No, they he he carries he shows up and he's carrying it. So I think the illusion is that that version of that kid cuz that's the the version of the boy Tobin that um like is trying to get get the brother to like put his hands on the rock and how good it feels and and all that. And I get the impression that the version of the boy that is let go later uh never got to that stage of of uh scariness because that boy also like knew him before. <laughs> you know, he he had he had uh, seen him before the, that character before and all that. So yeah the time loop aspect isn't really explored in the the story. Yeah, I don't think that's part of it at all, right? It's in no, and and it's very explicit in the movie. In fact, there's a point where you know uh, Patrick Wilson's character, uh, you know, he's the the crazy dad that's stalking mm. around in this grass with his 
like fucking pedophile mustache and tucked in polo. <laughs> he says something to the effect of, you know, every possible outcome is happening in this grass. You know, it's it's a matter of right. like, you know, every every possible choice is being accounted for and that is all playing out. And there's a real cool shot in there where right after he says that, you know, he's he's choking out like I think it's the boyfriend and the camera just keeps pulling back and you're seeing like then you see like the boyfriend's dead body. Then you see the mm-hmm. boyfriend's dead body. It's slightly like another one that's slightly decomposed and then another right. one that's like rotting and then a, a final one that's like a, just a fucking skeleton. This is another thing I admired about this uh, movie was the I not just a time loop shit, which I can kind of take or leave depending on the movie. But the idea that at any given point in our lives, we're presented with X number of choices and how we react in that moment creates a new reality. You know, I can't speak on this with uh, authority, but the idea of like multidimensional shit is something that I know that more scientists have have taken uh, seriously in right. you know the last 10 years the the idea that there are perhaps all realities happening at once you know which i think leads to the idea of infinity and you know once you <sighs> we're getting into like deep nerd shit here but <laughs> um there's a there's a part in uh have y'all read alex garland's the beach no okay well they turned that into a movie with leonardo dicaprio danny boy yeah, i've seen the movie Okay, so there's a scene in it's not in the movie, but it's in the book where uh, Richard, the character that Leo plays in in the movie, is uh, talking to that like French girl he has the hots for on the beach. And he's sort of like, you know, spitting game at her. And he's talking about how if you accept the idea of infinity, then you have to accept the idea that there are infinite possibilities, which means that every time you're making a choice that is happening somewhere, you know, it might not be happening in this world, in this reality, you know, in this room that you're in right now, but somewhere off in the fucking distant corners of the cosmos, maybe there's another earth where you make a slightly different decision and that reality plays out. You know, Mm -hmm. if it's infinite, it is infinite. The idea of infinity is, is one that is, uh, basically an abstract. I don't think that human beings can really understand it. You can understand it conceptually, but not analytically because it's impossible to experience. Right. So Richard basically tells this girl, if that's the case, then that means there's another world out there somewhere where like they're a couple and they're living very happily. And the other guy isn't in the picture and all this. Cause she has a boyfriend or whatever, you know, and, and something about that always stuck with me. I think about this like fucking once a week, probably like, well, I made this choice, but in the other, like two worlds over, I didn't make this choice. And I wonder what's going on over there, you know? And, and I appreciate that Vincenzo sort of like nods to that idea, which becomes scarier the more you think about it um, Hmm. in this movie. Uh, not in the short, but I, 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 or in the story, but I, I do think it's, uh, it's just, it's an inherently scary idea that is interesting to see sort of nodded to on film. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, you, you've had like, every one of us have had the, that moment where 
if I had tried to speed through, you know, that yellow, like I would have had it been in a crash or, you know, I've, I've noticed that where it's been not so much like, Oh, if I driven differently, it'd be more like if I left my house two minutes earlier, I would have been in this eight car pile up. That's that, that I'm now sitting in traffic, you know, waiting to clear up in front of me. And obviously somebody's died in here, you know, that, that kind of thing where everybody's had that, that like kind of brush with, with, well, if I had just done something slightly different, you know, then everything would, would have been changed. My life would have been changed forever. And in, in a, you sometimes a good way, most times a bad way. Mm-hmm. Um, so I, yeah, I mean uh, that concept by itself is, is something that's relatable to everybody. And it's frightening because we reflect on these, uh, these moments, like in terms of big life choices. But as you're saying, Eric, like it really does boil down to like by the second, the decisions you're making and yep. like how chaotic our reality actually is. I can't believe I'm talking about this and I'm not stoned right now because this is like the, <laughs> the stoner conversation to end all stoner conversations. But Devin, do you find anything frightening about the idea of infinity? No, but I, I do it often. I do it way more often than I should. And I also I also do it kind of the opposite way where, where, I, where I think if I, I try to think, let's say I went in a, a meeting, it's for a, a role or something like that. I will think that, you know, if I get a phone call from somebody or if I get home or if I make this, if I get through this next light without it turning red, I get through it. It's going to mean that the, the job will be mine or something like that. <laughs> I do that shit yeah. too. Yeah. All fucking time. It's, it's weird. It's like, you, you know, if, 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 if uh, like if, trying to establish omens for yourself. But yeah, my own kind of infinity world. You know what I mean? Like my own, I don't know. It's, it's just, it's weird. But yeah, I, I often go backwards too. Like if I had done that different, you know, I could be dead or, if, or uh, you know, if I had taken that movie instead of that one, I could be that. It, like all, yeah, I do that all the time. The final question I want to raise here, and then I'm all out of questions on this one, is – how do you how do you think you would respond in this situation? You're in a car, you pull over, you're taking a leak or something out in the middle of fucking nowhere. You hear a voice in the grass. First of all, are you going in the grass? Yeah. You first think of how you would do it if you knew what was going to happen. Like you would, you know, go in with rope or whatever it is and, you know, be able to pull yourself back out again. But I would my first instinct would be go in and help the kid out. Yeah. Um, I would be right. I'd be in the same situation they would be in unfortunate. It's very believable, you know, that they would go in and, and try to bring him out. Well, it's, oh. a, it's a exceptionally devious that it's a child, like the, yeah. the voice that's drawing mm-hmm. you in because, because they're, whether you, you know, like kids or not, you know, have kids or not, you know, there is something that is kind of in our DNA that is like, if there's a child in danger, we kind of feel like we have to help. Right. Yeah. You know what I mean? It's like, that's just like bred into, humanity um and the fact that it's a kid because if it was a grown-ass man calling out then that'd be like all right i'm calling don't worry don't worry sir i'm gonna call the cops you know they're gonna come and somebody will will, like i wouldn't just wander wander into the field you know hearing a dude you know calling out for for help it's also quite frightening because i did a tv show back when i was when i was eight or nine years old and um they told we did it at these cornfields, and they told us as kids not to go into the cornfields because you will get lost in there, and we will have to send somebody in to find you. And I thought that was the most frightening thing ever. Um, <laughs> the, the, the thought of like going into this cornfield and you know being turned around and not knowing which way is out, mm-hmm. and then having to send somebody in for me. Yeah, so now you're like, oh, I'm going to be in trouble, and I'm going to be scared. 
Exactly. <laughs> You're right. I think we would all respond to a child in distress and go into the grass. But also in the story, you hear the mother of the kid yeah. warning them not to come in the grass. Right. And I think that would give me pause. I think at that point, I think at that point I might be like, yeah, I'm going to call someone else to deal with this. Cause I don't know whatever the fuck is going on here. Something is wrong. You know, would, I, if it were me, I would think like, I'm going to get like 50 feet into this thing. I'm not going to find the kid, but I am going to find the mother. And she sounds like as described in the story, she's hoarse. She sounds a little hysterical. I'd be, I wouldn't know what I was going to encounter or what the situation is, which is another whole fucking thing. You know, like who knows what's going on? Um, I, I think that would give me pause. I think at that point, I would try to get some cops out there. But in the in the in the story they they call 911 and you know there's a bad connection or whatever. Um, I think I would have went straight in. I think I would as soon as I heard the mother I would have been like okay this kid's some, in some shit. This this she's crazy and I need to get this kid out. I think I would I, I probably not the smartest idea, but I probably <laughs> would have went right in. But she says but she says like don't come in here he'll find you or like you know He'll hear you or something. And that ind indicates a third person is involved. A he. Yeah. You know, and who knows who that guy is? Could be, right. a, mm -hmm. could be a big dude. Could be, uh, you know, some who fucking knows, you know? That's true. You're right. You're right. So I, so I don't know. Yeah. And then you're, and you have no field of fucking vision. You're blind in there. Right. Like send my basset hound in. Yes. <laughs> Vespi, how about you? Oh, I mean, yeah. I, listen, there, there's two things that I'm thinking about here. Like one is what's the scenario where I just I just sit on the roadside and do do I have connection? Can I call can I call the police or would I be in the scenario where I can't? So I have to choose go in and help now or try to drive until I get a better signal and try to come back and help. And I just don't see me like if I'm hearing uh, a, a child calling out for help saying they're lost and they need help and somebody in distress. I don't see me like going cool, bro, hang out for, for a minute. I'm going to go drive and try to get a better signal and call somebody like, you know, if, if I obviously, if it's me, that's in, in the world where I've read stories like this, then I probably would have that pause. But like in the scenario of, you know, the, this, this isn't something that's been established before, you know, in fiction, you know, that I've read that could be creepy. I'd probably, uh, I'd probably just try to go in and, and help because just like the characters, it doesn't look like it's all that difficult. There's a giant church right there. that steeples towering up. You have a, a point of view, you know, a, a point to, to go back to or whatever, you know, it's like, I wouldn't know it's magic grass. It's trying to eat me or whatever the fuck's going on there. Hmm. I think if if I did, I, I don't think I'd go in the grass, first of all. I think I'd probably stand out there shouting and trying to work it out from the road, you know? Yeah, come to like, my voice. Yeah, 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 like from a from like a, a safe and in no way cowardly distance. And <laughs> and then like if if that didn't work, then I might be like, I'll tell you what, I'm going to, uh, you know, everybody listen up. I'm going to drive up the road a, a, a spell. I'm going to find some, a, a team of people. I'm going to come back here, which would probably not happen. But I don't think I would go in the grass. I think I would let someone else deal with it. But if I hmm. did go in the grass, I think I would. Uh, I if like the characters in the story and I discovered the idea of the field does not move dead things. I think then I'd just start killing birds and trying to. <laughs> 
track my way out with those landmarks. You know what I'm saying? Or like, you know, the bodies of whoever else is, has been in this field. I don't think that would work. But if I did get caught, I think that would be like my one and only idea. I'm too, I'm too short to like jump above fucking six, seven feet of grass. You know, that's just not happening. Mm -hmm. So what, what other move could there possibly be? Anywho, Mm -hmm. I hope that never happens to any (laughs) of us. That would be very unpleasant. Um, I don't want to get lured into uh, a a mystical time bending uh, field of grass. Thank you very much. (laughs) Yes, absolutely not. You guys got anything else you want to? talk about with this one like how do you how do you how do you feel about it overall i like them both i like the uh i like the short story like you said for simplicity and but i also know that uh vincenzo couldn't have made that short story uh without into a movie without expanding it for sure Mm -hmm. and he expanded it in his own world it's visually stunning um the great performances and uh it was a great watch i think um i i didn't mind his take um, and his expansion. So I think it's a pretty smart adaptation and the stuff that I'm not totally on board with. I understand why he had to do it. Like the, the bowling alley thing that we mentioned there, it kind of stops the movie cold for, for about 15 minutes and for no real reason. But you also, as an audience, you need to have a visual break from just tall grass. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Like you, you need something visually different. And so I can't fault the decision there. I like the insanity that Patrick uh, Wilson brings to the the movie, but I also like didn't really buy the the character that much because we just didn't we just don't uh, get enough time to see the turn for him. Like he's is that the husband? That's yeah. the husband. Yeah, I, I re- when I read the short, I visioned him completely different. Right. Um, well, he's fucking insane. The like from yeah. the he's got blood on his mouth. He walks mm-hmm. in like there. there's even a note in the text like she recognizes him as insane the second I, I, she sees him. Remember Stephen King playing him, playing the, the dude that got hit with the, the grass guy, the farmer. That's how I kind of. <laughs> so, that's how I visioned him for some reason. This this like know, is that farmer <laughs> looking guy in the middle of the grass in the middle of the right. grass. Hmm. You know what I mean? So it was kind of a weird, uh, just because I, that's the way, you know, I cast it in my own head mm. to see, to see uh, that casting choice. Fun little <laughs> fact here, just on the subject of Patrick Wilson, James Marsden was going to play that role, which even, even further from what I imagined. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. I mean, uh, Wilson, did, he, he was, he's great. He's a good actor. That's for sure. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I mean, he's. He's a charismatic guy, and yeah. you know, with as Mister Wampler said, you know, a while back, uh, you know, you throw a, a pedo stash on him, you know, and you 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 make him, you know, obviously like an anti-masker. Now, you know, he'd be he'd be at the front of the picket lines, like yelling at school district people for instituting mask mandates. He's that kind of character. He's not bad in in the role, I'm, and I don't. I want to make sure that that's not you know uh, uh, misunderstood from 100%. me criticizing it. I think he's. He's really good at, at playing that kind of intense threat that that uh, he turns into. It's just I didn't feel any um, I just didn't fully buy it. I just didn't fully buy the turn. I didn't buy the obsession. So there, there's just something there. It's a little piece of the puzzle. I'm not I can't put my finger on well, why Patrick, it doesn't work for well, me. Patrick Wilson's but, a little too clean cut, I think. Is that's, the what I, that's what I thought. That was hmm. my first thing. It's like this okay. guy's a little, he's a little handsome from, from what I yeah. remember. Yeah. Reading. 
less meat and potatoes kind of farmer that I right. imagined. Well, there needs to be a little sleaze, I think. There needs That's to be me is what I'm saying. <laughs> yeah. Let's get Devin Sabo in the in that in that grass. Please. And and just while we're talking about the cast, uh the little kid, which yeah. uh I, mm-hmm. I hope I'm pronouncing his name correctly, but I think it's William Bowie Jr. is yep. fucking awesome in this movie. I find him very creepy. I, I don't mean this in the wrong way, but to look at. <laughs> to look at. Yeah. yeah he's well, he's, he's got he's, that he's got he's got the face. look of a kid yeah. that's been doing some wrong shit. Like he's got <laughs> right. the look of a kid that maybe has <laughs> dissected some animals in his backyard at some point. Uh-huh. And like and he's got that feeling to him as well. I think it's like given everything else going on in this movie, I think he gives like a naturalistic performance that right. is rooted in a sort of sinister mischievousness. That mm-hmm. that that I really enjoyed, and I, I looked into like what what has that kid done since? It turns out he's been on a, a Disney Plus show for the last oh, several right. years. Yeah, he's um, a Disney actor. Yeah, yeah. but uh, yeah. but he's real fucking good in it. That guy. Yeah. Well, he, you mentioned he does. He looks just a little odd. And again, this I'm I'm no looker myself, so I'm nobody to judge. But uh, you know, he kind of looks like um, Daniel. Uh, oh, fuck, what's his name? Harry Potter. Daniel Radcliffe. Yeah. He's got a little Daniel Radcliffe and a little mm-hmm. Rachel Dratch in his yep, face for some yep, reason. Yep. And that combo is just like it is is off-putting, but also it's off-putting when he's trying to be creepy, and it's also super sweet when he's just the scared kid. Yes. You know, needing help. It is it is a really fascinating face and i love good faces in, in movies you know you you give me just somebody with a blandly symmetrical you know face i'll forget them in a, in a second like right. so i i actually totally. i actually really you know i kind of appreciated that casting because you know fucking most kids look weird i mean i don't know we just had halloween i had lots of trick-or-treaters most kids look fucking weird you know that's just the way kids are you know their bodies aren't fully formed yet i don't know it's uh I, i'm with you i, think <laughs> I that, love I think this that idea kid. that you had people kids coming to your door on halloween and you're just like this kid's oh. fugly as hell dude like what is going on here? I didn't say fugly. Weird, just weird looking. <laughs> but but you are right. Kids are, kids, are, kids can be weird looking because because yeah. you are going through that transition. So yeah, uh, I don't think he's weird looking. I think he's going to grow up into a, an attractive young man. But he's he's pitch perfect for this fucking role, and I would totally buy him in like a, uh, a like a children of the corn scenario right. or or something like that like uh you know you know what when you when you were talking about him what it reminded me of is another stephen king short story and it's your your favorite short story it is uh oh the kid uh, it's from like crouch end yeah it's yes. totally he would be perfect and as the fucking weird like lovecraft kid fucking around in lovecraft country oh absolutely he would yeah 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 look i'll say this i i saw this movie when it premiered at fantastic fest it did not blow me away when I rewatched it for this, I made a, a specific choice to focus on the filmmaking technique that mm-hmm. was being put on screen. Mm-hmm. And I understand how this movie could underwhelm people narratively because it is a very thin concept stretch to feature length. But I think that the filmmaking talent that has been brought to bear here by uh, Vincenzo is is actually really fucking good. And in going back and reading some of the some of the reviews from around the the time this went out, I don't know. I don't think I I don't think people appreciated it or realized what a tall order this movie must have been. 
You know, this was not an easy fucking thing to do. It's it's it probably sounds deceptively easy to some people. It's just some people lost in a field. How hard can that be? It's fucking hard. You know, you got to keep that shit looking interesting. You got to keep it dynamic. That's the other thing with the casting. You have to find a cast that is. is yeah. Yeah. Your attention for an hour and a half to two hours because you're, you're going to be surrounded by grass. Um, so, the you know, the directing and, and the casting were. We're well done for to, to bring this to the, the screen, I think. Did you notice that there's there's a number of crane shots in here, but not nearly as many um like drone shots as you might expect mm. in a movie like this, which was I thought I, I thought was a really interesting choice because we had fucking drones in 2019, you know, <laughs> and they're there, everywhere. There, yeah. there was uh, the thought occurred to me. And then a few minutes later, there's like a shot of. You know, the camera like going in low over the grass and sort of, you know, you can still see the horizon and it goes on for like about 30 seconds and it's it's real long. And I was thinking, oh, maybe that's the drone shot. But I think that's a composite shot, too. And uh, Devin, what do you what do you got coming up? You got you got a movie coming out later this month. Let's let's tell the people about it. I have Hunter Hunter coming out. Uh uh, I believe it's the 19th. I think it comes to theaters. And then a few weeks after that, it goes to demand or wherever it is. I don't know. Uh, Apple, iTunes, however it works. But it's it's opening in quite a few theaters. Um, you said Hunter Hunter. Oh, did I say Hunter Hunter? I, <laughs> I, I was going to say Hunter Hunter is now on Hulu. Um, it's it, uh, The reason I always bring up Hunter Hunter is a movie I'm really proud of. It was just because it was a very few amount of filmmakers that went into the forest and, and and with all, you know, one goal of making a great film. And I think we all accomplished it. And that's yeah, you did. Uh, Black Friday is coming out uh, in a couple of weeks on the 19th, I believe, in theaters. A lot of theaters. I love it. I got to work with one of my childhood uh, idols, which which is uh, Bruce Campbell, who ins- inspired, uh, no pun intended, Idle Hands. Um, just uh, a great dude. And uh, Michael Jai Weiss in that. Actually, at the mention of that, will you tell the story real quick? This is this is in the Fangoria interview we did, but not everyone subscribes to Fangoria. Right. Will you tell the story about you auditioning for Idle Hands? Idle Hands was when the first script of Idle Hands came out. It was not Idle Hands. It was there was a bit of hand stuff in there, but not very much. The whole premise of the original script was the demon or whatever takes over my mother and, and uses her kind of like a puppet. But one of the addition scenes that they gave me for Idle Hands was when my hand gets possessed. And because my friends and I had seen uh, Evil Dead 2 and Army of Darkness and we were huge Bruce Campbell fans. We used to have a trampoline. We used to flip ourselves with our hands and, and you know, mm-hmm. we had inner two. We, we used to do the whole hand thing. It was a bit we did as like 13, 14, 15-year-old kids. Anyways, I went into – it was my second or third audition. I, I can't remember. And I, I had absolutely no fear. I was 18 years old. And I went into that audition and I started throwing myself into walls. <laughs> and this is in front of like studio and executives. There was, there was like dudes and ties and like – and it just – and I guess it, I walked out of that room and, and didn't think of anything of it because when you're 18, you don't. Um and they rewrote Idle Hands and they put all the hand stuff in there and it became Idle Hands. And uh, it was just, that's kind of how Idle Hands happened for me. It's a great story. Yeah, it was. <laughs> yeah, that's awesome. I love that movie. That I wouldn't I do that probably. That's why, you know, you're a kid and you just, you have no fear. You yeah, just, totally. 
destroyed their office and walked out. Well, <laughs> we're excited to see uh, Black Friday and to continue with Chucky. And if you have not seen Hunter Hunter, I could not recommend it more strongly. It's a great fucking movie with a uh, a real um, punch in the dick for an ending uh, yep. in a good way. In a good way. I will say that. Um, yep. But but thank you so much for for coming back. Uh, always a pleasure to talk to you. You're always welcome. I show, guys. I, I'm, I, you know, I love coming back. and I love listening to it. So anytime you want me, man, I'm, I'm here. Right on, man. Many thanks to Devin Sawa for joining us once again on the show, this time joining us in the tall grass. We made it out alive. I think maybe we're in a different time zone or reality. I don't know. I, I, we're still trying to figure that part. Right, good <laughs> that part of the story. <laughs> good shit. We love that Devin Sawa. Always up to something, that guy. He's been taking some big swings, working with some some kooky characters, and uh, always a pleasure to hear from that guy. And also... Not for nothing, but if you're uh, if you are an in the tall grass fan, or if like me, you have questions about how in the tall grass was made, shots, some of the tricks they pulled off while they were making this movie. Uh, I got good news for you over on the Patreon this Friday, this week's King Cast bonus episode. We're gonna go through in the tall grass in a commentary track with Vincenzo Natale. He is he has agreed to come in and uh, basically tell us how he pulled this thing off. So, uh, I hate to tell you, Eric, but this is kind of a an in the tall grass week that we have going on here. I'm into it, man, because uh, you know I'm a physical media guy. I like I love owning Blu-rays and you know back be back in the DVD days. Mm-hmm. You know I love commentary tracks. You know that was always kind of a thing that I, I always attracted me to that. And one of the big downsides to Netflix doing all this stuff is very rarely do they actually release anything on physical media. And when they do it hardly ever has a commentary on it. So for real. Yeah. So we get to actually provide the commentary for in the tall grass, which I think is really fucking cool. Yeah, someone had to do it. It's going to be us. We're doing it this Friday on the Patreon. Uh, sign up now if you're not already subscribed. You go to patreon.com backslash the KingCast. You will not be disappointed. Every Friday, you're going to get a new bonus episode. Some of them are commentaries. Some of them are blind alleyways that we want to explore with You know, some of our guests. Uh, we're, we're doing all kinds of fun stuff over there. So if you're a fan of the show, get double the amount of the show. If you so choose over at patreon.com backslash the kinkast. And what are we doing on the main feed next week? Yeah, next week's a a really fun one. We have a title we haven't yet tackled on the show, which I'm very excited to finally get to. Uh, The title is Gerald's Game. So we're finally getting into Gerald's Game. Um, Gerald's Game, the feel-good movie slash novel (laughs) of the year. So yeah, we'll be tackling the Mike Flanagan adaptation, be looking back at the original novel, uh, and our guest next week, the one that's helping us through this is... Uh, we're going to keep it secret because we, we like to keep it secret when we can, uh, that Devin Sawa likes to, uh, announce him uh, himself prematurely. We've noticed, <laughs> uh, but we're totally fine with that. Devin can do whatever he wants. Hell, he can announce who our next guest is. If he knows, I don't think he knows though. Um, yeah. So our next guest is a well-known comic book writer and a novelist of some renown, he was super excited to to tackle this and like th- it was one of those things where he wanted in on the show. He's a listener and he 
was like, oh, I'm a big Stephen King fan, but you know, you know, I, he hadn't seen Gerald's game before the show, before recording his thing, and he like watched it and was just like texting excitedly, going, "Oh my god, this is so great!" So mm-hmm. it was one of those one of those things where he was a big King nerd, filling in like a gap in his his uh, King knowledge, and was so excited and excitable about it. And I think he did a really great job. Yes, and this may or may not be the setup to a very Flanagan week on the show next week. Uh, I don't have any idea what you're talking about. Uh, no one knows what might air as our, our bonus episode next Friday. But, you know, this is an important month for uh, Stephen King adaptations and specifically Mike Flanagan, Stephen King adaptations. So maybe maybe there's some surprises next week. We'll see. Could be. You never know what's up over here. at The King cast. anything. You don't happen. even know. We're making this up as we go along. <laughs> week to week, just like Indiana Jones, making it up as we go. If you want to pick up a, a KingCast t-shirt or a hoodie or, you know, a tote bag or maybe something with a, a child about to be run over by a truck on it, uh, head on over to katet19.net. That's K-A-T-E-T-1-9.net uh, and check out their KingCast uh, merch store. It's right at the top of the page. You know, we're we're offering all kinds of stuff over there. Also, koozies, some new shit about to hit. We're updating it all the time. Uh, I don't think I have anything or anyone else to plug. You can always follow us on Twitter at KingCast19. Uh, and you know what else you could do? You could rate and review us on iTunes if you wish and give us them five stars. We love them five stars. Tell everybody how good we're doing. That's what we want you guys to do. If it's not five stars, guess what, folks? We don't want to fucking hear about it. Yeah, you know, five stars only. That's that's how we do it over here. Four and you, a half, you, not good enough. We are in a extra personal relationship with you, wherein we demand the five star review. So please go over to the Kingcast page on iTunes, Apple. We got to compete with Mister Joe Rogan, and we got a ways to go. Let me tell you, we must have dominance, Eric. We must have dominance. I, I do agree with you on that that aspect. We will not rest until we have dominated the podcast. Uh, I don't sphere. know. Sphere. sphere. Yeah. The sphere. Yeah. The, the gaggle of podcasts that are out there. Definitely rate and review us on iTunes, Spotify, whatever you listen to us on. Uh, we'd certainly appreciate it. And uh, yeah, and join us on Friday while we have our In the Tall Grass commentary with Vincenzo Natale. And uh, then come back to the main feed next week for our Gerald's Game episode. Thank you for helping us dominate the spheres. Good night. The KingCast is a Fangoria podcast production. The show is produced, hosted, and created by Eric Vespi, that's me, and Scott Wampler. Tira Ansley and Abby Goel are executive producers. Daniel Danger is our art director. And editing is done by yours truly. Mm-hmm.